you're listening to Beckett's Babies. I'm Sarah Cho. And I'm Sam Collier. And before we get started, we just want to do another friendly reminder about Strange Heart Beating by Kristen Idajak at Cloudgate. Uh, Previews start on July 9th in Chicago. And for more information, visit the website Cloudgate Theater. Really check out the show, you guys. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about money and... How does a playwright um, make money, if at all? And what are some different ways that the theater world has been trying to compensate playwrights for their writing? You know, Sarah, I think there's a lot of mystery around around money, it, just in theater in general, like the mystery around how much people make and what's a good salary versus a... An average salary in different theater jobs, and um, you know, just like how do you make a living doing this crazy thing we're trying to do? And I feel like I've heard people say things like, you know, if playwriting is what you love and this is your goal, this is your life, you will do whatever it takes. <laughs> you will take right. any jobs that come your way, you will do whatever to make it happen for yourself, like if you love it so much. And then and then you go on to the real world and you're realizing, oh, there's a lot of things against me right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Having to maneuver and be really resourceful in what's out there and trying to make it. Well, and yeah. I think that mentality actually is quite harmful to us. That The idea that if you really enjoy something, that that joy... Um, should in some way take the place of cold hard cash <laughs> you know that mm-hmm. that that, mm-hmm. that institutions have a right to pay you less than a living wage because you're doing something creative is an unquestioned mentality but i think it's really not sustainable so anyway so we'll just lead by saying it's very very unusual for a playwright in 2019 to make a living writing plays. Although there are exceptions. For example, Lauren Gunderson. Um, I heard an interview with her recently on the podcast, Three on the Isle, and she was asked um, flat out, do you make a living from writing plays? And she said, yes. Um, Although her caveat was that the Obviously, that is not um, a consistent or a reliable or a dependable um, paycheck from year to year. It's really hard to plan your life when you don't know from one year to the next how much money you're going to make. And I feel like that's in the arts in general. Like, yes, a a creative person, a writer, a novelist might have a, you know, their career might really peak and point in their life and then it gets really unpredictable after that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so there's this um, 2015 article in American Theater Magazine that I found very helpful in thinking about how playwrights make money. Um, and we'll, we can link to it. But there were some pieces of information that I found really helpful um, that I didn't necessarily know. So one of the things it talks about is this book, Um, from 2009 called Outrageous Fortune by Todd London, which said that on average, 
playwrights earned $25,000 to $39,000 annually, um, but only half of an average writer's income came from playwright-related activities, which could be, I assume, anything from, um, you, you know, like anything involving theater or teaching playwriting or mm. maybe working as a dramaturg. And 15% of that half came directly from their plays. So if you think about half of $25,000 and then take 15% of that $12,000, yeah, Mm. um, that that would be the amount that came directly from their plays, um, which is not very much. So that that information is a little bit out of date since that book was from 2009. But my guess is that it hasn't changed all that much in the last... 10 years. Or do you think it gotten worse? Yeah, maybe it got worse after the financial crisis. Is this before 2009? Well, if the book was published in 2009, probably the the data came from, you know, before everything really hit the fan. Another thing that I thought was interesting, so I don't really know that much about royalties because I haven't yet had an experience of getting royalties from a production. But... So so one thing I learned is that royalties on average account for 3% of a playwright's total income. So for most playwrights, they're not really making a living from royalties. Like the way if a TV show got syndicated and those writers, those showrunners, and everyone involved in that show probably, this probably makes tons of money. Yeah. Back yeah, I don't – it would be interesting to learn – about the information for TV because I don't know how that I don't know how that works. So listeners, just want to throw it out there that you know we're not going to be able to pack everything in this short episode, but this is like an ongoing conversation about money in general. Uh, mm-hmm. That we here are some things we're learning, the information that we're finding, and hopefully guests that we'll have on the show because. I think it is important to talk about this. And like you said, Sam, like being transparent um, Mm -hmm. when we talk about, well, well, why do you think that transparency is important? Well, okay. So let me give you an example. So um, when I was just out of grad school and I was applying for different, you know, opportunities that I came across for playwriting and, and really still now, um, Often, I would have no idea (laughs) what kind of financial compensation these opportunities provide. I think some of them have gotten a little bit better, but um, a lot of times, you know, you're sending out a play to a theater or an organization that says they'll offer a small stipend, um, and you have no idea if that's like $200 or $2,000, $2,000, you know, and so, so one example is a couple of years ago, I got the um, Goodman Playwrights Unit residency. So for one year, I was commissioned to write a new play, which was really exciting. And on that opportunity, um, I, you know, when I applied for that, I didn't know how much money it was going to be. Turned out it was $3,000, which is, I think, pretty standard for a commission, most commissions range from about three thousand to f- about five thousand dollars. Or the, there are ones that are significantly more. Um, but you know, I think the more we can get that kind of information out there, so that playwrights know, especially new playwrights know, 
both what's possible and what is not yet possible, um, the better off we'll be. Because, because transparency allows you to be wise in your applications and to think um, long-term and, and mm-hmm. um, it can help you negotiate, I think, when you get to the point where you're negotiating with a theater about royalties or advances. So, yeah. Cause, because you want to do what's fair. Yeah. Right. And is the commission range, I'm guessing, is where that playwright's, um, where they are in their career, right? I think I think that's part of it. I think also part of it has to do with how big the institution is, mm-hmm. um, how much money they have, what they're offering. So some commissions um, might be offering a staged reading that's tied to that or a series, uh, like the Goodman Playwrights Unit, one of the things that's so valuable about it is they give you every two weeks you're meeting with a, a cohort of playwrights and the literary staff. And as you're developing your play, you're getting all this feedback. Um, whereas other commissions, I think, you you know, they they basically just pay you to go off on your own and write a play for a period of however many months, and then you send it to them. And there may or may not be a reading attached to that or some kind of performance or workshop. So I think it varies a lot. It's worth mentioning um, the American Shakespeare Center in Virginia has is currently commissioning what they're calling it um, Shakespeare's New Contemporaries. And every year they're commissioning two new plays related to Shakespeare plays. And they, they have committed to paying $25,000 per play Wow. For the next, I don't know, 20 years or something, however many years they're doing this. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. That is a lot. Mm-hmm. But but it, I don't know, would you consider that a commission or a prize? Because they actually, what they're doing is they're soliciting um, submissions. In other words, you know, playwrights write the plays and submit them. And then of those submissions, they choose two to give too. So I think of a commission as being more like the theater pays you to develop at the beginning of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or along they're paying you in installments as you're writing. The play. Yeah. Cause when you think about it, commission, like maybe a, a studio artist, you're like you're commissioned to do this mural. And then you're like, okay, so yeah. I'm going to work on this paint for uh, forever. Um, right. Right, something like that. So that that I mean, when I hear commission, like that's the mentality that I get. Um, and so, so I think, well, I think theaters are are trying to figure out like what's what's a, the best way to um, pay playwrights and develop new work um, in a sustainable way. And so I think there are pros and cons to both because because the American Shakespeare Center is doing. Um, these prizes and they're committing to producing the two plays that they choose, then they're able to give this huge chunk of money. Whereas if they were commissioning, say, I don't know, 10 plays a year, you know, they could divide up that money among more playwrights, but could not produce all those plays. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 
But it's interesting. Do you have a preference? What do you think? Like, what between those two, is there uh, a way that that you feel um, is sustainable, or do you? Think, I don't know. Or which one do you like the most <laughs> between the two? I don't know. I think I really can see the benefits of having. I think what we need is a very um, broad and diverse range of ways that theaters compensate playwrights. Like, I, I don't think, I think it's actually more healthy to have lots of different ways rather than mm. one. Just back on the topic of transparency, I just remembered a Facebook post, someone asking about, um, it was a comedy writers event, and they were asking like, you know, uh, I've been offered this gig to do this digital short um, as freelance or something, and I kind of don't know how much I should ask for, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just remember the comments that we were like, well, the standard is 500, like for those gigs is mm-hmm. for writing a, like 500 a day, I think. Okay. Um, and wow. And there's people were like, oh, really? Because here in these places, uh, I was paid 250 or like I was undercut. I was like 300 or and, yeah, you know, and all these things that. So I was just thinking about it's really uh, to protect ourselves too, because then you could be easily taken advantage of and right. not know. Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, and because every year there are new emerging playwrights coming out into the world, and it's our responsibility, I think, to inform each other about what standard practices so that people aren't taken advantage of. And I and I I don't think that um, anybody in particular is setting out to take advantage of playwrights. Right. I I actually think at all levels of the theater industry, you know, people would benefit from knowing what a typical salary is and um, what they can negotiate for and. Um, you know, it's just, there's just always a need for, for more money for everybody, I guess, but in theater. But that brings me to this um, amazing document called the Theater Salaries Spreadsheet, which was put together by Jenna Clark Embry. And it's a, it's an anonymous, shareable, I guess you'd call it an open source Excel sheet where anybody in the theater world can um, enter in information about their job and where they work um, and how much money they make and how many years they've been doing it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of columns. Um, And I think this is a really great resource, whether you are a literary associate or a marketing person or, you know, you're going into academia, just to see what what's out there mm-hmm. um so we can link to that yeah we'll make sure to link yeah it's this data is incredible to see you know even how, how much does a high school uh, theater teacher makes mm-hmm. to an operations team member <laughs> like you just it's it's yeah this is incredible and that people um had filled it out. I know. And I want more people to know about it so that we can have Mm -hmm. more information in here. And the other thing is you can sort by location so you can see what's Mm. typical in New York versus the Bay area. 
versus Minnesota. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of information about New York. It would be really cool to see um, some more regional theaters in here. Yeah. I love, I love this part of the type of organization, like a university versus a performing arts center or like a regional theater. I know. It's, yeah. That's really helpful. It's so cool when people have that kind of, when people take that kind of initiative. And so Jenna Clark Embry is the um, literary manager at Signature Theater, and she's an angel. <laughs> because it is so hard to make a living from your plays, and not just hard, but just very unlikely, people find other ways to make a living, such as going into teaching, whether as a teaching artist with a theater or or university positions, or often find jobs that are kind of um, parallel to their playwriting work, but aren't necessarily about playwriting per se. So when I was applying to grad schools, uh, the biggest advice that I I had gotten was do not apply to schools where you're going to be incredible in debt, like incredibly in debt, because you don't, want to leave school in debt because you'll spend that time working towards to pay off that debt, you know, instead yeah. of actually writing. So I was really mindful of like, okay, I'm only going to apply to schools. I did my research. I looked at what schools provided, um, you know, a fellowship or some kind of a teaching artist assistantship or something. And then that could help compensate and, or, and benefits or something like that. And so I make sure it's only applied to those schools. And when I got into Iowa, I could not believe how good I had it. <laughs> I know. It was an incredible two, not two, but three years of my life to have benefits and a salary and live in a very um, live in a place like a city where it was reasonable. Like it was the cost of living was so low. And so mm-hmm. it like, I can't believe I was in a situation like that. <laughs> I still can't believe I that. Know. that we, it still is so hard to believe. It's hard to believe. It's hard. Well, to and not only that, but we didn't have to pay tuition because we didn't have to pay tuition, which really was thanks to the graduate student union. Mm. Um, but that's another story. Yeah, I mean, I this is why I was like, I should have lived a life a little bit longer to know <laughs> because I kind of <laughs> jumped in from gra- undergrad to graduate school. I only mm-hmm. had like a year break, and when I got into graduate school, I I was I just kind of thought this was a norm. Like, yeah, you know, her grants pay for my tuition. I'm used to it, whatever. Um, but. To write, to be paid to write those th- in those three years. Just that was my, f- like, don't worry about anything else. It's like, do not think about anything else other than writing. Like, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's another way I think that playwrights can get some pay and health insurance for a couple of years. If they can find and get into an MFA program where they're not paying for it, that that's I mean it really is it's a kind of job for mm-hmm. three years yeah where you're paid to write mm-hmm. 
and teach. You're also teaching if mm-hmm. that's something you're interested in. Yeah. So speaking of Iowa, mm-hmm. you reminded me of a story of a playwright who came to Iowa during our first year and talked about money. Do you mm-hmm. want to share what she said? She said, and we're keeping her anonymous because she's kind of famous. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. But I just remember because here's the thing, like, I came in school and I was like, wow, I'm kind of in this weird, like, dreamlike haze of, oh, there's, because, because when you're in there, you're also kind of in this weird bubble. And I'm like, every, mm-hmm. I feel very protected and I feel very secure. And I'm like, and when this playwright that visited, she said, she said, made a comment of like, what's wrong with wanting nice things? Like, you should want to be able to have money and be able to afford things and things like that. And first, and that kind of jarred me a bit because I was like, what's out there in the world? What's happening in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, now that after graduate school and moving out, living in a city and working and things like that, I'm seeing that kind of the things that we're hitting on is that uh, we, we should be able to have this standard. Like there's a standard that, it should be okay to have like we like we shouldn't even we shouldn't I don't know we shouldn't even be compromising ourselves or in any way to have anything less than right if that makes sense yeah well and I don't know about you but I want to live in a society where artists can make a living as artists you know I mean I just think that is important so well and I think artists should be able to have kids and raise a family and mm-hmm. you know and feed their kids and go to the doctor when they're sick and you know make enough money to give back to their society just as anybody else would like to be able to do. So it's like I just feel like we could have a bad rep or something like all we do is just like lie around and look at the ceiling or something but I feel like we do a lot <laughs> I don't know yeah like I just I feel like even the skills that we have you know when being in a rehearsal room and uh rewriting thinking those ways of like how to rewrite this all that it you know it's a it's a way of critical thinking and I've used like this like that practice even from three years in grad school it has translated to like other jobs or like when I was working PR and publicity and things like that. It's like, because I'm like in this room, I'm with other people. We're like having these conversations, how to do these things and execute it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we have value. We oh, all definitely. have value. We have oh, value. Yeah. What we do. And, and it's important to have um, people who can think in different ways, you know? And yeah. so some people I've seen, come up with creative ways to basically be entrepreneurs as playwrights. So like I've seen some playwrights on their websites, they offer freelance um, script feedback or they'll um, read your play and talk to you about it or, or send you written feedback or Mm. um, I don't know. Have you ever considered doing anything like that to try to, create your own ways to make money I've done um I've done like script reading and uh doing script coverages for oh yeah I've done it so what's that like 
when I first moved out to LA, that's what I was doing. I found myself doing a lot. Um, it was like reading scripts and giving coverage. And it was such a great way because um, learn about TV writing or film writing and reading all those scripts was really helpful mm-hmm. because I'm like learning the mechanics and I'm kind of digesting and articulating uh, these scripts. And so that was really helpful um, in that sense. And I think I'm each script, depending on, you know, your level of experience of how often you did script coverage. I think I was making, and, and it was like versus like a production company too, or um, like an institute, a larger, I was making anywhere between like 35 to $75 per script. And what um, kinds of information would you then send on? Like, what would you write about it? Mm. So typically it's like two parts. It's kind of like the summary is the first part. Like, because uh, I guess a lot of people here don't want to read 60 pages, <laughs> 90 page scripts. So they just want to know that in a, in a page or two. Um, so, but, so the first part is like summary. Um, what I think the story is. And I think that's important too, because did the writer, what they meant to say or what this story was about, did it translate, you know, to mm-hmm. the reader? So that's like the first part I would do a summary. And the second part was sort of my analysis or kind of just broad specific or specific notes, like what I liked about it, what I thought it was kind of confusing for me, just kind of personal opinions about the script. I tried to be objective as possible by pulling like being like in page 47, there was this moment where this character uh, did something unexpected mm-hmm. and I had no idea why it was happening or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think it, what it really is, the script coverage is to give it a sense to the, uh, the company or to everyone producing, like if it has high remarks or not, you know, um, if it's worth producing cause you know, it's cause money goes into making these things and they don't want right. an investment. And so, and there was and not all script card, but they also have like a rating system. Like one, I really would love, like one, I really did not enjoy it at all. Like I, I really, it was just horrible. And to 10, mm-hmm. like, I really love it. I would love, I would actually watch this. Like I would want to watch this, you know, mm-hmm. I think that kind of rating system, but yeah, that's, and I did that for a bit. And that sounds also, fun. And also, was house sitting. I was also walking dogs. I was also being a barista. I did a lot of things. Yeah, that's the other thing is there's just so many different ways that people find like day jobs and mm-hmm. kind of cobbling together. Yeah. If people, gigs. if you listen to the Monica episode, I think Monica mentions uh, about how she how she sees a job is it's sort of. Um, not permanent mm-hmm. and it's kind of fluid depending on where you, you know, what you need at the time or as a writer. Yeah. And then yeah. it can give you the stability mm-hmm. so that you're not, because the other part of working as a freelance writer is you're spending so much time promoting yourself and hustling and, you know, seeking out opportunities. And so I think she, one of the things she talked about was, the freedom from that just allows her to write more. And I think you said it, but when you're freelance, your time, 24 hours in a day, it's not really yours. Yeah. Is it, did you said that? Yeah. Yeah. 
there's some truth to that. Every time you have is always time you could be working. Well, that's what we've got for you today, listeners. And we want to know what you have encountered in terms of making money as a playwright or a theater artist and what questions you have. Because we'll come back to this topic again yeah, and again. And again. And again. <laughs> and again. And again. Um, it's the problem that never dies. I always wonder, though, these theaters or these, like, development opportunities, like, they all start for a reason. And the people behind it, it's a reaction. I feel like it's always a reaction to something. Like, they, mm-hmm. a certain development opportunity wasn't the way they wanted, so, like, we're going to do it this way <laughs> or something. And yeah. I, so, I, yeah, it just, it, it does just feel like it's, it's constantly changing. That's true. And I and I think a lot of theaters are really trying to try new explore new models. So one thing we didn't talk much about is there are theaters now that will bring playwrights in residence for a year and pay their salary and health insurance and give them an office and so like Arena Stage is one that has been a pioneer of that model and that's really exciting to see. I think you're right that they're constantly trying to create new ways of doing this. So I guess safe to say I'm optimistic. Oh, good. (laughs) Okay. I'll be optimistic too. Yeah. Listeners, we are optimistic. Of all the opportunities out there that we don't know about yet, that's going to start happening. Um, But also just to to tag on all of this, make an opportunity for yourself too. You can always make those happen. Good point. All right, let's move on to glistens. Sam, do you have one, or should I start? I do. I'll start. My glisten this week is um, I was looking for things to use in my teaching because I'm teaching at Interlochen Summer Arts Camp this summer, and I found this partnership between Assemble Sound, which is a Detroit-based music company, and um, the state parks of Michigan where they sent these composers to all these state parks and had them record nature sounds and then they combined those tracks with music um Mm. and then they created these I think it's something oh 10 10 um tracks Mm -hmm. where you can that you can listen to for free and it's um it'll be the sound of a waterfall and a harp or something like that and it's so cool. And I'm going to play it for my students and have them free write to that sound. <laughs> That's my question. It's called Pure Sounds of Michigan. Pure you guys Sounds check it out. of Michigan. Because yeah. you, you don't have enough of it already. <laughs> What's your question, Sarah? Um... My glisten is, it's like yet to happen, but I'm going to start reading it. It's an Atlantic article sent to me by my fiance. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I didn't say it. Who we will mention in every episode from now until the wedding. Yeah. I, I don't think we've gone one episode yet where we haven't. Been. But he sent me an article. I started reading it and I want to keep reading it. It's about how Netflix is a business, not a movement. And so I, I'm, I'm, I have, you guys, 
I don't want to go into too much details on my personal life, but I do have a weird relationship with Netflix and it's been very, at some years it's been very volatile. Um, uh, uh, so it's just kind of like, uh, I love these articles. You know, I don't, you know what? It's, it's, I don't care if Netflix is listening right now. You guys are sometimes crazy. Um, <laughs> and I know I'm sure. What I'm is, sure. I don't understand. Like, what is the article about? I mean, I know you haven't yeah. read it yet, but yeah, I haven't. I I've read the just gist? the gist of it. What it seems like. Oh, maybe I'll just read the long line. It's like the while the streaming service has taken over cinema, it's important not to overstate the company's virtues or downplay its vulnerabilities. Ah, uh, and so mm-hmm. I've always had this feeling that you know their business model, though the streaming. Although it, and I have encountered uh, some of the their practices uh, as a company, and it's you're being so vague. I know because I don't want I don't want like a some assassin come after me. Um, <laughs> but there are some way that I was like thinking, I'm like, man, like, are they? drinking this weird Kool-Aid and this is okay. And I, I just had this like weird feelings like that. But at the same time, they're creating this, they're just a massive ball of just breaking down conventions and the way, you know, so they're, they're just like, they're in mm-hmm. so many ways. They're great because they're creating so many opportunities and resource accessible. They're just all this great positive things that I felt like the studios and the networks were just like, being crappy about but then but what that headline makes me think is that they're only going to be positive so long as it is financially beneficial to them and as soon as they find another way to make more money Mm -hmm. all those things you love about them yeah could disappear yeah and the thing is there's this there's so many loyalists to netflix and it's because they got us like I started using Netflix when they had this DVD, you know, where you could rent DVD and mail it out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like, I don't ever have to walk to Blockbuster ever again because the movie comes to me. Um, but I, And I've been a huge fan of Netflix since then. But I just feel like racist. Poor Blockbuster. <laughs> I know. Um, and I did a poll on, on my own personal page on Twitter. Like, if I had to choose one streaming service to use for the rest of my life, which should I use? And I gave my pollsters like the uh options and netflix is one of them and majority voted netflix over all the others well i don't think i've ever used a different streaming service other than netflix yeah well because they got you when it was so affordable like it was like it was way more it was like five bucks ten bucks for all this amazing entertainment from networks and tv shows and that you love and you can watch anytime you want and binge them and then now it's like the reality is all these other companies are catching on and what we're going to end up having to do is like the future is two things one we are signing up for every service that exists from nbc cbs (laughs) because they're all getting their own streaming service and we're like right gonna pay just as much as like a cable bill or everyone rejects all that and we're all just going to read books again. That's the two realities I see here. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> well, and if if that comes to pass, um, we'll tell you about it on a future episode yeah. of Beckett's Babies yeah. because it could happen. Maybe 
Well, I'll just go back to reading books and watching plays. Watching plays. Yes. And then if more people watching plays, the demand is there and there'll be more money for us. Yay! We solved the problem. So Netflix. I wonder what that would look like. Netflix of plays. Like, don't. Okay. My mind just went down. Don't say that. Don't say that. Now someone out there. Okay. I won't. I won't say it. I never said it. It's been said and now. There's going to be Netflix of plays. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I opened Pandora's box. Thank you. Sorry, guys. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for Thank listening. Thank you for listening. We love it when you um, email us or comment on our posts mm-hmm. and tell your friends. And don't forget yeah. to follow us. Yeah, share us your thoughts on money. Like, what do you th- what'd you think about um, the conversation we just had? What is your experience with it? Uh, pros, cons? Positive, negative. Love to hear it all. Questions. Questions. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, that's it. Tune in next week.